At a time when many of life's little luxuries have been taken away, or at least put on hold, our sponsor Ole is here to ensure we can all still indulge in some of the finer things in life. I am in love with their retinol collection. I have tried all the creams, lads. And I mean all of them. And this makes my skin feel incredible. Really glowy, really strong, really bright, which in winter is a tricksy old thing. With Ole, I can face anything. Seriously, anything. And there's a lot going on, let's be honest. My fruit ball making me feel like I'm somewhere exotic. Eating oysters for breakfast from a van on a Saturday in the pouring rain and measuring my daughter's clammy little painted toes. There are a million things I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? People really, really reached out for me and I think it got me through those moments. They shared things and experiences they had and that gave me real comfort. I felt that sometimes, even though I'm physically alone, I'm not really that alone. I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome to Thanks A Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude lists to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Dr. Alex George is an A&E and TV doctor who you'll probably know from Love Island back in 2018. But your typical Love Island contestant, he is not. For starters, he's more pink than bronze, which obviously I relate to on a deep level. Since winning over the nation, if working as an A&E doctor during a pandemic isn't enough of an achievement for you, he has also appeared on Celebrity Masterchef, started his own podcast called The Waiting Room, become an ambassador for Jamie Oliver's campaign Bite Back 2030 and become a leading voice in mental, physical and sexual health. Alex does a massive amount of charity work and since the tragic loss of his younger brother last summer after he sadly took his own life, Alex has started to lobby the government about mental health in schools, outlining the key changes that must be made, such as having a counselling service in every school, training for teachers and mental health on the curriculum as a priority. With the debut book coming out in May called Live Well Every Day and a mild obsession with bath bombs, Alex is on a mission to make health and medicine more accessible to everyone. As always, you have been sharing your Thanks A Million trios on Instagram. Please keep doing them. I love them. They make me feel full and fuzzy. At Angel Scanlon is how you'll get me. Kira Callanan, grateful for your podcast. Merci. Binge three episodes today as it was much needed. Fern, Matt Haig and Jamila Jamil, the trifecta. Mm -hmm. so uplifting each in their own ways also lentil shepherd's pie and the ability to make it brighter days ahead shepherd's pie that is comfort in a falcon dish mark doling today i'm grateful for the rain stopping just before my run some lovely salmon for dinner and last night's grand designs to watch tonight with a glass of red celebrating the small things Holly and Lavender, I'm thankful to live in a warm, safe house for supportive colleagues. Teaching on Zoom is another level of draining. I hear you. I mean, I don't, but I do. For cabbage, the best veg ever. Interestingly enough, I bought some cabbage last week, actually. And I did it with this fermented miso thing. I'm so Islington, even though I don't live in Islington. But I put miso paste, fried it up, and then like a bit of water just to loosen it. And then in went the cabbage. Stalks and all, cut them off first, let the stalks cook for a little bit longer, wilt the old leaves on the top. Ha! Gorgeous. This is an episode where we go all over the place and I am begging you to hang tight. If you have preconceptions about what a Love Island doctor might be, if you're not a fan of the show and didn't actually see him in action, hang around. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the depth and the warmth and the... She's just wildly articulate and passionate and a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. We chat on what it's like working as a doctor in the middle of a global pandemic, about Alex's mental health campaign that he's heading up. We talk about bath bombs and the pleasure of giving yourself gifts, those pink shorts that brought him to fame on Love Island. He also shares the profound words of advice that gave him comfort and helped him following the tragic death of his brother. And please, for anyone who is struggling, do check out the show notes for details of support available. There is always always somebody to talk to okay that's enough from me let's hear from dr alex how are you doing i'm i'm all right thank you yeah, i'm not doing bad I'm, i've yeah. uh, i was in a&e yesterday i'm uh, working from home okay. today i'm kind of glad in some senses that i 
have well I'm fortunate enough that I can have, spend some of my time with colleagues working because of that kind of social side of it and then I also get some time downtime if you like when I'm at home even though I'm working here it's not the same as kind of the stress of being in recess or, or, or whatever so yeah balance is that balance is very important but it, it's been a tough year I think everyone hasn't it yeah um my sister is a nurse and so I feel like I I have an insight you know like as much as you can mm. when you're hearing things you know secondhand as opposed to experiencing them um but you know what what's it like because I yeah. think a lot of us actually you know don't maybe we don't mm. really want to know but like for you as an experience um being on the wards at a time like this how how hard has it been i suppose yeah. or you know m- m- maybe the opposite of that she has found it to be obviously really difficult but also massively galvanizing like you're kind of going through something quite traumatic and once in a lifetime with these people and there's a depth of kind of understanding and compassion that you share with people that it's hard to establish yeah. that kind of connection in any other situation. Well, firstly, shout out to her and her, and her hard work. I think nurses are doing a flipping incredible job. They're working, they're working their asses off. It's very, very, in a very tough way. You know, nurses are very caring people as a whole. And I think one of the things that's really challenged us is that we've had to wear PPE, masks, you know, gloves. We've, we've kind of removed that human element. And, and I think that's been very hard for doctors, but as well for nurses, because there's a huge caring perspective to that kind of profession. Um, I think it's been very hard. I, I, the first kind of wave in March and April, it was a shock factor. There was adrenaline and shock, I think, were the two things. It was, wow, what is this? How do we deal with it? You know, you're talking huge number of unwell patients coming in. Um, we were intubating a lot of patients, so we were taking over the work of breathing, putting a tube down uh, the airway, and basically putting them into comas. Uh, we were, um, you know, dealing with ultimately people passing away. Sometimes very young people. I think the idea, people's kind of vision of it is, you know, elderly people all the time. And yes, we do of course see a lot yeah. of, very sadly, elderly people passing away. But the, you know, a lot of the patients I treat in recess who we're taking to intensive care or we're putting these you know in, in, uh, masks on that, that, that blow air into the into their lungs these people are often in their 40s 50s and 60s so yeah. it's a real it was a real change and a bit of a shock i think because particularly in those early days and early months because it was something new uh, and you know we're used to seeing death in any of course you are it's part of your job being a doctor but not to this level and i think in the summer we had a bit of a break and we had a bit of time a bit of easing but now we're in a situation where the staff are knackered. I think everyone's very fatigued. I think people, the public are very much behind everyone, but their energy is flagging as well for the whole thing. Uh, and yeah. we're seeing a lot of staff off sick, huge number of cases again. So the pressure's massive at the moment, to be honest. I think what, what, what helps in a positive sense, I always try and look things positively, the vaccine's there, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it's kind of like yeah. rolling up the sleeves for the next couple of months, to be honest. It's gonna be tough. Mm-hmm tough few months yeah yeah that that initial wave as you say there was you know the rainbows and windows and the clap and there was the kind of yeah the adrenaline and not excitement is obviously the wrong word but when you're used to being on a ward and you're you know not used to death in this way but that it's it's an event isn't it it's kind of like oh my god i'm on the front line during this you feel like you're part of a battle really i guess i mean i don't i don't want to draw too much comparison i can't imagine what it's like to be actually in a battle in that sense but i say Mm -hmm. there's comparisons you can draw and that kind of you know feeling of energy and running on that adrenaline but you can't run on the adrenaline forever that's what's hard yeah. and that is what we're seeing mm. right now is that we're asking people staff to dig in for over a year and keep Again. lifting it keep lifting the energy and let's not forget people that put themselves at personal risk obviously the vaccine is rolling yeah. out quickly amongst staff but we've lost quite a lot of nhs staff to covid people who've gone into work you know there was a very sadly there's a plastic surgeon who came out of retirement um, caught it within the first week when he was helping and he passed away you know he worked his whole career and earned his right really to a retirement and a, and a hopefully a relaxed life and, and then you know he, he comes to help and he passes away so I think these kind of fallen people we have to remember that once it's all over I hope we have some sort of memorial or way of really remembering yeah. the lives that have lost because I mean what we're well over 60,000 now aren't we yeah yeah it's crazy and I do think mm. there is a sense and it's really um it's really uh, visible now is that sense of vocation, whether it's nurses or doctors and that kind of, you know, um, people who were retired, who might have been on leave, who might have been on career break, yeah. who feel 
you know, I, I, I trained for this. This is what I'm geared for, like, and, and I'm needed now in a real sense of kind of, yeah, beautiful sense of obligation to get to get stuck in. People, I think, really want to help. I, I mean, it amazes me yeah. even now, like with the vaccine rolling out, you've got nurses coming back who've retired. You've got people who are non-healthcare professionals. You know, offering. I, I, one of my friends is a, a producer at ITV. Um, he's been off because his project didn't require him to be there, etc. And he he is volunteering to try and or like trying to volunteer with the vaccine. Like it's, it's just amazing to see that people. I think the thing is with anything like this is that you see the best and the worst of people. And like what I've thought was amazing is that on the whole, you've seen the best, I think, of people with this whole yeah. pandemic, people backing the NHS, people trying to do everything they can in whatever the way they can, where they've got a bakery shop and they're sending bread to, to Haney or they're supporting yeah. elderly people, people going out and buying shopping for elderly people, stuff like that is just amazing. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes you see the bad side as well. I'd like to think that not as much of that, but it has just amazed me at how much people have just stepped up and gone, do you know what, this is a shit situation. We don't want to be in a situation, but let's do our best and yeah. let's, let's help each other. Does that sense of seeing seeing the good, seeing, you know, that kind of, you mentioned putting yeah. a positive spin on thing <laughs> or looking for the positive, is that a natural inclination for you, a, a habit that you've you've worked yeah. on or have you just... I think so. I think we, we, we're all different. I think people, everyone is very different and we all have different approaches to life. And I'm not saying I'm, uh, you know, forever opti optimist. I, I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, eternal optimist, I guess is the word. Um but I am very positive. I do. I would rather look at the positive side of things. I'd rather take a situation and go, how can we, what can we do to either get out of the situation to make it better, or yeah. you know, to, to to try and mitigate what the scenario that we're in. And bad stuff happens to you in life. You know, you can't change the cards that you're dealt. Sometimes, you know. So going, oh my gosh, you know, I wish this pandemic never happened. Of course, you know, all of us wish that. But you know, the, the thing that actually helps us uh, mentally and our, the people around us is trying to go, right, this is the situation. Let's swear about it for a little bit and get really angry, but then let's take a deep breath. Let's pick ourselves up and let's try and move forward. I do think there will be a period of time after the pandemic that we need to look at this kind of mental health fallout, I guess, the implications on staff, PTSD and, you know, you know post-traumatic stress disorder and other uh, yeah. mental health diagnosis can be on the increase because of the situations people have been in. I mean, I, I've interviewed people for my podcast, this series on the waiting room, and uh, one of the things I've found is that, you know, people really have seen some awful things, you know, in this time, and I think yeah. those things will always have a price to pay, and you have to pay it at some point. So, you know, as positive as we are, I think after this, we do need to kind of reflect on how bad it's been, and what we need to do is to look after the people that have done the caring throughout. 100% and I know that that mental health is a is a massive focus and a massive passion yeah. um of yours um Dr Alex I'm gonna call you Dr Alex <laughs> okay um, <laughs> Either what or. are you thankful for today what am I thankful for today do you know what I'm really really thankful particularly as someone who has been on my own mostly throughout this whole pandemic in fact I have been on my own apart from when I'm allowed to kind of spend some time with people. Um, I've been so thankful of, of the support of everyone, actually. I think it really has got me through. I think social media sometimes gets a really bad rap, rightly so some of the time. Actually, rightly so probably quite a lot of the time. But I've had so much kindness through social media, people reaching out to me and asking me how I'm doing or sharing in my situation. You know, my brother, when, when my brother passed away in the summer, you know, clear, he, he, he took his life by suicide. and. Um, you know, people really, really reached out for me and I think it got me through those moments. They shared things and experiences that they had and that gave me real comfort. And I felt that sometimes, even though I'm physically alone, I'm not really that alone. And that's really helped me. And I mean that in terms of social media, but also in terms of the people, you know, being at work, my colleagues and stuff like that has really get, got me through. So, yeah, I think that without that, I don't know what I'd do, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that that openness and people reaching out um, is is in response to your openness you know and your generosity and sharing mm. um in sharing your own story which i imagine was was really difficult yeah i think that's that's very kind i think I, i've always been a very sensitive individual i think if i reflect on who i am i'm very sensitive mm -hmm. and i think i don't think i'm particularly talented as a person i think I, i'm i'm just my, my probably my one talent i think in life is i think i'm emotionally intelligent i kind of understand mm -hmm. people i care about people and i and i empathize with people well and and yeah 
that has helped me, I think, support people throughout this and given me that drive and actually is the reason why I do the job I do. But also, um, it sometimes means that you can be very open to things really hurting you and affecting you. And, you know, what happened to my brother is, you know, it's been awful. And, um, you know, when initially I found out that he passed away, I had a phone call from my dad while I was at a restaurant, actually. It was at the times when we could still actually go out and eat with some friends. Um, and it, 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 it destroyed, it broke my world, really. You know, like it was, it was terrible. And I came home um, and, and, and obviously had the shock of everything that had happened. And I think for me, I, I really felt at that time I, I needed to be honest and share in what had happened because mental health, I think, is something, you know, that needs so much work. I am, you know, so passionate about making change within that. And I wanted to be honest because there's no shame in what had happened to my brother. The, the shame is the loss of his life, not that, that it was via suicide. So I was very, I very much wanted to tell people what had happened because I think that was important in, in his memory as well. Yeah. And also to share, to hopefully save anyone that was in a similar situation that they could see, you know, that there wasn't a need to be ashamed that they could ask for help and that maybe that that was not the answer to take. So yeah, I think it's very important to, to kind of be open and I just hope that some of the things that I've shared in might have saved people's lives. You know, that, that's ultimately the hope, isn't it? That, that maybe someone looking or thinking about, you know, that they might want to take their own life, that they might stop and go, actually, you know, what? I'm going to ask for help. You know, I'm going to explore other options. And yeah, that, that's what I hope. And it's painful. Sharing causes some pain, but it also brings a lot of relief as well. You know, when people reach out for you. Healing. Yeah, there's healing in it for sure. It helps me yeah. as well. And how old was your brother? Athir was 19. So he just finished A-levels. He had his place at Southampton Medical School, was due to go in literally a month or something. Um, a really happy, talented boy. Very, you know, He's a good-looking little lad. Um, he'd have done very well in life, I think. It was, it was completely a, a shock for us all. I think, undoubtedly, the pandemic was too much. Um, I think it's, it, uh, you know, you'll see, certainly looking at statistics, the soaring rates of suicide uh, in children and young adults um, and as well as older adults as well and I think the impact of mental health has been massive and I, that's, that is why since then I've spent the last five six months speaking to all the mental health charities organizations teachers parents students to find out what can we do and that's why I'm campaigning you know with government to try and bring change you know we need to support teachers to teach that our mental health they want to teach let's give them the tools let's teach let's support them at university to learn about that let's support teachers mental health let's also look at the curriculum let's change the curriculum so that mental health sits along side maths and english and other subjects because ultimately how can we ask our children to learn about maths and english if they're unhappy if they can't concentrate if they they don't feel purpose in life if you empower them and teach them and encourage them and teach them the tools to look after themselves they'll do so much better in their education and thirdly the other point i want to support focus on in the campaign is support at schools every school should have a counseling service every school should have a counselor children should know where to go to reach out for help so that they do that long before they get to the stage of wanting to take their own life because i always think how terrible is it that someone has got to the stage where taking their own life is an easier option than asking for help such a failure of society, really, if we're completely honest. If we're honest on our, in ourselves, that is a real, yeah. a real shame. So that's the thing. I and focus and on. it's very much the the Western versus versus Eastern kind of approach, isn't it? In that you get fixed when you're broken. Yeah. You know that it, only when you're crumbling under the weight yeah. can you you know reach out for help yeah. or not yeah. or not feel strong yeah. enough to reach I, I think out so and that's why I want to change is I think that, you know at schools I w- I've been saying this and got bang on this for the last few months really that if you're old enough to have thoughts and feelings you're old enough to learn about them and understand them and nurture them and know how to support your mental health most of it's the basics you know and we all we, yeah. a lot of us don't do it properly because we weren't taught how to do it no one no one really showed us how to look after ourselves the, the sleep hygiene sleep health you know the, the role of natural light and be having time outdoors the importance of yeah. for, of, of regular exercise uh, you know the benefits of diet i mean one huge area that i think we're only really exploring now is the role of nutrition on mental health you know if, if you think yeah. you know if you've ever got health, gut health yeah if you, you know if you've ever been nervous for an exam you know that you get butterflies you know that there is a connection between your brain and your stomach you feel it and you know that as well that that makes it's a logical sense that there must be a connection in the opposite pathway so mm-hmm. we know from the amazing work that people are researching are doing that 
what you eat really does make a difference, not only in your body and your physical health, but your mental health too. So we should teach children this. Because, you know, the, the thing I always, and I get frustrated with sometimes, is the notion of, oh, but children, you know, we need to protect children. Oh, they, they won't understand or they won't, they won't learn it. They won't, it won't benefit them. Look at the environment. They used to say, oh, we, no, we, don't, we shouldn't teach kids around this. They won't do it. They'll, they'll ignore it. It's children going home telling their parents, you need to recycle that. Yeah. That's a recycling bin. You know, often it's the children that are better than the adults. And if you start yeah. teaching it at a young age, by the time they're adults, they won't understand any concept of stigma around mental health awkwardness because they're brought yeah. up with it. It is just normal. In fact, then it would be abnormal. The They'd almost see it abnormal to feel uncomfortable, but you just empower people to look after themselves. But also, you know, what if this, the, the, what you teach that child saves someone else's life one day? They, you know, they understand, they're in tune yeah. with their emotions. They understand thoughts of feeling. They understand the signs of someone struggling. What if they are that person that reaches out and says, are you sure you're okay today? Because you don't, don't seem like you're yourself. Should we, do you want to go and get a coffee and have a chat? And then they, yeah. they're, they're there to reach their hand out and help that person. That is what we're creating, really. And that they feel empowered both for themselves and for other people. And I think a lot of the time with mental health, there's a sense and a kind of still, even now, a lack of understanding um, around how, like, what can we do? They're just a bit broken or, you know, it's too late or there's something wrong there, you know, on a very deep level that's impossible to tackle. And I think a lot of the silence comes from a kind of complete yeah and a sense of just not knowing what and the, we can and the do. thing is that that's kind of almost a shame in all that it's just, it's actually so easy you know most people who yeah. are struggling they just want someone to really reach out to them in a way that mm. they feel comfortable and just someone to recognize how they feel and people say well what can i do if someone's struggling actually just being there listening for a lot of people makes yeah. a difference just hearing what they've got to say and and being there as a sense of support you you don't have to fix people but actually, if you support them and you help them, you talk to them and maybe just point them in the right direction, maybe in the direction of mm. their GP to another close family member who might be able to help or support services, then the experts can take over and help them build those steps as a person, as a friend, as a family member, as a teacher. As, it's just to be there. Because like, if you've ever felt when yeah. you, you know when you just feel terrible about something and you feel really worried and you're anxious about something, when you just pick up the phone and speak to someone, just the kind of action of sharing that already makes you feel better and i i think there's something about i I think it's why you know talk therapy is effective for people it's the action of speaking it aloud almost allows for the release even if you haven't fully processed it it, it's allowing for for movement and some sort of um yeah relief really definitely Definitely. It makes a huge, it makes a huge difference. I, and I, I think we'll only do that once we start from the bottom up. And then people say, well, Alex, we're, what about tackling other areas of, the, of, of weakness there with mental health? And I think if you start with children, if you start with the, ne- the next generation, they, they will breed that yeah. and they will bring about that change. Exactly the same with environment and stuff. If you teach the kids now about it, they will bring change in time and they will continue to propagate the the good messages so that's that's what i want to happen at the moment we just don't if you look at what's going on i think there are some changes within um the education that's positive there are some steps certainly we're recognizing i think the government's slowly starting to see that we need to put more into this but we're a long way yeah. away from it i mean the actual um the green paper which is what they call it the kind of bill around mental health which was released a few years ago um one of the points there was they wanted to have a mental health lead in every school which is great yeah. We at the moment, and this is this was this was done a few years ago. I think it was two years ago. Uh, we're only going to hit at this rate twenty five percent of schools in England by twenty twenty three. So that's three yeah. years after this pandemic, and that's only a quarter. Mm-hmm. So that's not good. You know yeah. that isn't good enough, like at all in three no, years. No. And it, it's not that people don't want to, and the councillors and the people out there, and the cams, the support services, they really want to. But it, it does come down to money. You need to put money into yeah. it. I think. They looked at the, the, sp- the funding this year for mental health. It's gone up by 4%. 4%. We're in a pandemic where half yeah, of the population, I think to... a survey was over half the population, have, um, uh, have said that their mental health has deteriorated massively since the pandemic. So we yeah. need to be tripling that, the, the, the 300% increase, not 4%. You know, so we, we there's a long way to go, and I think that's what I'm trying to do this campaign. I'm trying to make noise. I'm trying to keep the momentum going, and ultimately to get some funding really to do this properly. And I mean, thank you. And I know that maybe that passion is is um, is born out of something 
tragic mm. and 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 an awful loss for you and for your family. But um, you know, there's no doubt that that kind of that purpose mm. will will um, serve. I hope so, and I hope I hope ultimately it'll be a legacy for Theo as well. You know, he was he, he was yeah. a good boy. He's very caring. He's very similar to me. I, I'd like to th- I I hope so. And um, he he would have done great. So if there's some legacy for him, then that's that's definitely a good thing. The thank you next. So this is maybe a chapter of your life that's behind you that at the time felt awful, but with a little bit of distance, you've gone. I'm actually really glad that happened. I've got yeah, I've got I've got a time of life. I think really, I think for me defined or at least was a, a real learning point. It was back when I was um, doing my A levels and. Um, I was really excited to go to med school. My best mate at the time, we were like inseparable. He wanted to go to dental school. I wanted to go to med school. We both had a place at Liverpool. So it was gonna be perfect. It's like me and him go away to uni together. It couldn't have been better. Uh, and then it came to the results day and I'm quite dyslexic. I didn't know this at the time. I didn't actually know until after uni, um, but okay. I was quite dyslexic and I always struggled with my essays. Did my exams, got all the A's that I needed, but in my chemistry, my marks got dropped quite drastically. uh, And it brought my chemistry mark down from an A to B by four marks. And the medical school, Liverpool Medical School, wouldn't just go, they wouldn't see that it was only four marks given the place, they would not let me go. So I lost my place at medical school, which for me was was, was awful, because I'd always wanted to do this. It was my dream. Getting a place at med school was so hard. I didn't know if I'd ever get offered another place again. And it was awful to miss out by such a close, you know, what you're talking about is two sentences in the essay or something that needed improving. Oh, and to lose, goodness. oh, my mum was crying. Because I went to, that you know, devastating. It was terrible at the time. My, um, my school, um, I, I loved my school, but it wasn't a school where a lot of people went to med school. I'd been for many years, a couple of years at least, that someone had gone. So mm-hmm. they were really, really excited about the idea. When I came out of the room, I was like, I, I, I'm not going. They were like, oh, come on. I was like, no, I, I really don't have them. I, I didn't get it. So I had to kind of swallow that, which was painful because my mate went there to university as well. And I was like, my mate, best mate's yeah. going. I'm stuck here. He's literally doing your He's thing. He's doing my thing. So I, I had to kind of oh. swallow that. But actually, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because, yes, I spent a year. Um, I had to reset. Literally, I changed a couple of things in the essay and resubmit it. <laughs> and I had to reapply again and do all that. But I also got to go away for three or four months and stay with my granddad in South Africa and do some really, really awesome stuff. Which, looking back, was actually not only character building, but it was just an amazing experience. And time with my granddad I'd never have had. So I was very fortunate that. Yeah. And actually, I applied again. I got a place. And it's led on to everything that's happened since. So I look back and think, yeah, that was awful, but I'm pretty pleased. I'm pretty pleased in some ways that it happened. Yeah. And was was being a doctor was that always like the gig? Is it in your family, or where did no, where did that come from? Do you know what? Actually, my biggest passion outside of medicine is cars. I love my cars, and uh, I think if I was your petrol yeah, head, yeah, massive petrol head. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, my granddad used to be used to be a motocross champion he then did um this is the same granddad in yeah, South that's Africa. right yeah, yeah. Wow. he used to be um uh he used to be uh karting well he won the world championship one year in karting he used to race with nigel mansell so one of the former one um champions he loved i mean it. i say wow yeah. like i no, i'm, no, I'm he, impressed because clearly he was, he was yeah he was amazing and I, and I think that was in our family so that was what we loved but i just always had this interest in a and e and emergency kind of care and stuff and i think i wanted to do it for like, since i was young but there's no one in my family no my dad's a retired policeman mum uh, works in a bank okay. so yeah but i just love i love the idea of doing it and um yeah i'm very glad that i did wow well we are very glad that you did as well um is there a thanks Dr. Alex, that got away. <laughs> Is there a thanks that got away? Well, there's quite a few to be I'm trying to pick one, but there's a patient I saw um, several years ago um, and he was at the end of his life. Um, and it wasn't really a sad story. He lived a very good life. He actually was a um, like a very renowned scientist. I won't say much more than that, but he was a very, very intelligent man. Mm-hmm. And he was at the end of life and he was kind of looking back on it and I was looking after him. And he sat me down one day and he said, Alex, you know, you're, you've looked after me very well and, you know, I think you're a, uh, you know, a lovely lad and things. And one thing I just want to say to you, you know, like I wanted to tell someone this and I want to tell you this is that 
you get your one shot in life. And as I'm at this point in my life, I'm not thinking about the things that I did wrong or the opportunities that, you know, I did this, no, I shouldn't have done that. He said, you always look at the, your regrets and the things you didn't do. He said, live your life, say yes to things. Genuinely, it's a bit of, he's like, it's a cliche, but say yes and take opportunities. You live your life outside of the comfort zone because that's where you start living is when you're outside that comfort zone. Don't just do what society or people expect you to do. And I think that was instilled in my head. And I think that probably like it really was profound for me and I think that has changed how and who I am now like because I everything I do is outside my comfort zone I'm an introvert I'm a quiet introvert and everything I do is the opposite so um I draw energy actually on my own but you know in terms of all those situations everything's kind of new for me I mean I couldn't ever imagine I'd be sitting here you know talking to you over a podcast but yeah I, I think that was really profound and I'd love to go back and say thank you to him for that because it, you know that was really sound advice I think and so prior to that, had you been quite conservative so. with the, the decisions that you I made? I think so. I think so. I think there was a few um, things that kind of nudged me in that direction. I lost, I lost a friend of mine at university, one very good friend of leukemia, and she was, she was amazing. She was a fantastic doctor. And she said something very similar to me. Um, and she just said to, to, to kind of, please do live your life, kind of live life. And, and I think those, both her and what he said, I think really both those things really kind of, encourage me to kind of put myself out of my comfort zone because I think in a lot of ways I was probably not doing that um, and I think there's always a risk in life of not doing things because you're worried about what other people think I don't mean doing bad things I mean like oh gosh you know yeah. for example you know as a doctor going on tv being on a show like Love Island your doctor on social media mm-hmm. like these are in many ways I don't want to say this in the sounds I don't mean this in the arrogant sense but it's a first in many ways it's a different way like it's not yeah. many people have done something similar and and I don't say that in a sense, again, I don't mean that in like a blow, you know, blow my own trumpet kind of way, but it was a risk actually to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. what would people say? And some people, actually some people don't agree that I'd done that. And there were people when I went on Love Island who thought that that was really bad that a doctor did that. But actually... What, because the academics yeah, should not be yeah. seen in their trunks doing this mind-numbing, silly experiment on telly? Which, which, and I mean, that the, the judgment that people place on a show like that without often actual experience exactly. of having seen And I agree. And I, do you know what? You know? One of the things just kind of... It's kind of similar, and I guess another thing, really, is that when I was considering going on the show, and for a long time I said, no, I, I'm not going to do it, um, one of my consultants said to me, come here, I look out, he said, look out in the waiting room, and I looked out with him, and he said, look at all these people, do they have girlfriends, do they go home and have sex, are they having relationships, do they have fallouts and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, probably, he said, look back where all the doctors are, do these people all have sex and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, he said, so why are you any different to anyone else? Why do you have to behave any differently? He said, you go, he said, you're always going to go and show respect. You're always going to be, you know, uh, respectful as who you are. So why shouldn't you do it? And that was really like a bit of a push for me. And he was right, because why do we have to? We're all human. Whether you're called a doctor, whether you're called, you know, whatever you are, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. We're all the same, really. And I hope that in some ways that's actually opened people's eyes that you can be a doctor, a nurse or a physio or whatever and still... Mm-hmm. enjoy life you don't have to be this ultra straight laced per- person you know yeah but and also i imagine in an in in a way it it, it frees doctors up or people who are you know held to a, a higher moral code to be human but equally i imagine from a patient's point of view you you bring a humanity to doctors and I think a lot of times you know you're you go into a doctor and you kind of button up and you don't necessarily say all of the things and you kind of you know not bow I don't know but there's a there's a kind of paternalistic you know what I mean there's a reverence kind of sometimes that comes and yeah in a way seeing you be like my trunks blow yeah <laughs> i wouldn't be doing that you at the know, moment to be like, fair. Oh. i'm not in that shape but um yeah it's, i know what you well, mean you know it's opening it allows yeah. people to go ah oh, okay i'm able to go into my doctor and like have mm. a, a chat i hope so and i pe- the patients yeah. i've seen since and i you know I, people say you know i, I recognize you and or whatever and and i, and I think mm-hmm. people are very open with me when i see people they feel comfortable and i think that is a really good thing i'm not saying that everyone should be going on tv and doing that you know I think it depends on each individual person but I don't think it's harmful mm-hmm. for people to see doctors in more human elements I think that's actually quite a positive thing and I think people have realized yeah. that and I hope 
that's I mean, actually, to be honest, you'd see now in the last year, maybe two years, so many more doctors on social media, so many people educating. Because actually one of the things I'm really passionate about is that doctors don't own health. Health is for everyone. Yeah. Doctors, you go to university, you learn to, and you learn all this knowledge. You also learn learn the ability to analyse knowledge, which I think is very important. Mm. We don't know everything, but we're quite good at analysing stuff. We're taught how to analyse. That's yeah. our job. New drugs, new research, new procedures come out all the time, and we learn to critically analyse that and learn that information. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful. But we don't own the information, and so I feel like sharing it with people in a way that's safe is really, really good. Because people deserve yeah. to understand. It doesn't have to be kept for us and come to us for all the answers. If we can teach them and we can support them, we can give people resources that they can learn themselves, that's a beneficial thing. Because yeah. I think when patients have understanding in the correct way, not via like Wikipedia or some dodgy site, you know, yeah. when it comes from the right sources in the right way, I, I think it's a really beneficial thing, particularly around mental health. Because knowledge mm-hmm. is power when it comes to mental health. And, and, and that is a particular yeah. area that I think showcases that actually doctors should be more open and actually do more teaching of the, to the general public, I think. Yeah, well, give them the yeah. keys to their own yeah. health rather than, yeah. you know, prescribe them yeah. something and they're forever dependent exactly. on you. And I think there's a kind of, you know, like a, a not a power struggle, but yeah. like ideally so. you don't want them back every Because I think, I think medicine's always been paternalistic. It's always been like, you're, you talked about reverence. It's that idea of like, we know, we tell you, you do. And I think that is changing. And I think that's a good thing. There is a balance because what, what can be dangerous is people have a little bit of knowledge just can be a dangerous thing. Dangerous it can be, thing. Because people, mostly because people see something and think they got it automatically. I mean, it's like medical school, medical student syndrome where you become uh, a medical student, you do six months a year, maybe two years, you start learning stuff and you think you have every disease. I thought I had every okay. disease I learned about at medical school. Because you're hyper aware like, of oh all these God, little symptoms. Oh my God, I coughed yesterday. Oh my God, I've got that. Oh, I've got TB, okay. I've got this. And you think... My elbow yeah, my, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I've got some nerve conduction problem. And it, you, you automatically yeah. assume everything. And then eventually you get to a level where you've got enough knowledge to understand that actually most of the time it's probably okay. And um, you're probably grand, yeah. yeah. And so I think there is a balance to be had. But actually when it comes to health promotion and teaching people how to look after themselves and what's good for them, those things can only be good, in my opinion. That's the thing that mm-hmm. comes out. If things are going wrong, you should be seeing a doctor. Or if there's something you're unsure about, see your doctor. But learning about healthy food habits, learning about sleep and sleep yeah. hygiene, learning about what happens to your body when you exercise and what happens to your mind when you exercise is only a good thing. Because when people understand that, they understand the idea of endorphins, they understand what happens to your blood pressure after exercise. It's yeah. like, well, actually, you know, you're giving that person the tools they need to apply what they're doing. So you're not just going, yeah, go and run five miles. It's good for you. You're actually telling them why. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah, and that they're not, you know, genetically, always genetically yeah, yeah. predisposed to yeah you know, die or live in the same way everybody has before. You can kind of change a lot of environmental stuff, which I think is, is. And it is a big part. I mean, not to, well, well, a deliberate plug, I guess, but it's the premise of why, it's the the reason why I wrote my book that's coming out in May, Live Well Every Day, because of that exact premise that I think that people have the right to have this information and be shared. And and the fact that you can actually make changes, small changes add up to a big difference in the way you feel Mm -hmm. mental health and physical. I don't think you can separate mental and physical health in many ways. If you're, if your physical health's poor, it means you can't do the things you enjoy. It affects your mental health. If your mental health's poor, you're probably not going to look after your body in the same way. And that affects it. So you can't Mm -hmm. separate it. And that's, that's the premise of the book really is to look at, to look at how each person can maybe adjust small tweaks that make them happier and healthier ultimately because we all I think we we all it's all fun to like we, we love to enjoy life and live it to the full I'm all for that but ultimately what a lot, lot of us are looking for is to feel at peace to feel comfortable in our own skin and to feel happy and healthy uh, and I mm-hmm. hope some of the things in, in my book will help with that oh I love that and it's funny I was listening to something yesterday Oprah obviously and um she was talking about success and reframing success and i do think one of the things with this pandemic and with lockdown has been a shift away from this kind of relentless production and kind of striving for things for material things and actually a real realization of and you know this is obviously through a (laughs) health health is wealth and those small things that you do every day add up to the big picture and that actually like that sense of peace if you have peace you've won 
It doesn't you're matter where you are or what you have. You're fucking you're rich. rich. <laughs> you're a rich man or woman <laughs> if, or child. You're, you're very rich indeed. You've got everything. I think you're you know? absolutely on the money with that. Success is often, and again, I go back to education. Success, you're taught at school. You need to get a good, do well at school. So you get a good job, you earn money, you pay the mortgage. Is paying your mortgage off yeah. happiness? No, absolutely it's not. I don't believe that for a second. There's a really interesting study, and I, I'm almost ashamed I can't quote it, but there is a good study I read, and it looked at how much money you need to make to be happy. But the peak happiness was like 40, 50,000, which is actually a lot, it is, yeah. it is quite a lot of money. But I think people, when yeah. they asked people how much they thought it would be, they were thinking hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And actually what the yeah. curve showed is that as people earn more and more money, the, the, the kind of rise in happiness just flattened off so quickly and ultimately it didn't yeah. really make you happier and actually the the parameter of difference between someone earning 25,000 and 65,000 was marginal in terms of happiness so actually what it kind of showed in some ways is that actually you just need enough to be able to do the things that you like doing each day that you can see your family and yeah. friends you can go and do some nice things you can have a holiday every year and ultimately your mm-hmm. happiness is more not about the realistic uh, the materialistic things it's more about having health it's more about having time that you can unwind time to enjoy with people and i think people yeah. in the pandemic have realized that that ultimately you know, a lot of these materialistic things, they can be fun. You know, I love my cars. I'm a big fan of cars, etc. But that car doesn't yeah. make you happy. I don't believe that for a second. It's pleasure or whatever, but it's not happiness. Yeah. And it's funny because I do think, you know, there's a sense that these things, health as wealth, is a bit trite or you need, it's the small things that make us happy. And, and there was a kind of sense of, oh, bullshit, give me the bag, yeah. give me the <laughs> Chanel handbag or whatever it might have been. And actually, I do think, and I feel really passionate about those, that, that focus on those small things. And I, on social, share, like, things that I'm thankful yeah. for every day. And people share them. And they're always, awesome. like, yeah. they're, yeah, beautiful little moments. They're not things, or they're very rarely yeah. things. They're observations. They're human connection. They're, like, yeah, they're snapshots. Mo- they're the things that fill peace, you up. Isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've yeah. had this thing, I do my social, I love bath bombs. And everyone laughs on my social. <laughs> I, I, I love Oh, I'm literally obsessed with them and it's one of the things I do that genuinely makes me a peace I'm at peace right I love yeah. it and people tag me every day chucking the bath bomb in and people have said I've never had a bath bomb before now I'm hooked and the reason is that they enjoy it is because actually the 21st century is so stimulating it's always stimulus via phone or mm-hmm. all these things that actually people feel best when they just sit still and relax and listen to some music or just even no music yeah. and just have some candles on in the bath mm-hmm. it just that feeling of just calm is actually so rewarding it's not the kind of you know buying the new handbag or whatever that really gives people that sense of peace it's actually just being present it's become very deep angela deep it's a unicorn bath bomb (laughs) yeah no it is deep but it's also real and i'm very much enjoying it Big thank you. So close family yeah. aside, because okay, you know, yeah, we get la- it. Yeah, the close family aside. I think the big thank you um, that I that I have is for one of my consultants, actually, Dr. Nigel Harrison, I'll, I'll name him, he's, he's, he's been fantastic, because he's he's been such a uh, inspiration to me. And I think you have figureheads or people that you, in your life that you look up to and think, wow, what an amazing person. And when I first started in A&E, I was kind of quite nervous about it. It's quite a scary environment. And he really yeah. took me under his wing and taught me a lot of kind of how to, you know, not only the medical side of things, but how to deal with the pressures of life and how to deal with things when they go wrong and when we lose people. And he's always been there to, you know, kind of make me laugh or to kind of lift you when you need to. But just a really good figurehead. And when my brother passed away in the summer, he texted, well, I, I spoke to him on the phone, actually. I rung him. He's one of the first people I rung and told him, and he was very obviously upset for me. And very wise guy. Like, some people you meet in life, you, know, you meet people, and they're just like, they're so wise. And they just, they're just people who just know. They don't even have to say anything. And they're that kind of level of, I don't know, influence in some sense. And he texted me later on in the evening, and then obviously everything was so raw, and I was in an element of despair, I think, really. That was the only way to kind of describe the, the feeling I was in. And he texted me something that I think truly got me through that time, and also, actually, that I use now, and I quote now, and I, I use it to talk to my kind of followers and to lift people sometimes. And what he texted me was, life, and this is, I, it's just in my head ingrained, life throws us into the deep end at times. However, with the help of family and friends, we can overcome 
even the most seemingly insurmountable challenges. And it's such a simple line, but it really struck a chord to me when I sat there reading it. And, you know, what, it, you know, it, it, what, what do you... What it really means to me is that sometimes you end up in a very shit situation and there's nothing you can do about that situation. But what you can do is, 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 is get through it with the people around you. You can't change a situation, but you can get through. And for me, it, was a re- it really gave me hope. And I really think I was beyond hope at that time. I was really in a bad place. And it actually brought me back into that moment. I actually quoted that in, uh, at the funeral where I spoke, uh, obviously at my brother's funeral, and I've quoted it since. And I think it's so powerful because even and it, it captures the element of, of the pandemic as well, because it is shit. It's such a shit situation, but we're doing it together. We're getting through it. And that's, only, that's the only way we could do it. We couldn't do it individually. Uh, and he's all, and he's been there since. So thank you to Nigel Harrison, I guess. That is wonderful. And also it's the, it's the acknowledgement and that word insurmountable. It's like, I think so many people in different situations have been faced with something that's seems... It's something you can't get past. You think I cannot. Yeah. It was that, that thing for me. It was like, I cannot get through over this or around this. It truly was yeah. the insurmountable challenge. Uh, you captured it perfectly, I think, in what you said. And I, everyone experiences things like that in their life, you know, not just about grief or whatever, but scenarios that they just think, you know, whether it's relationship things or whatever, you know, whatever it is you think, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but you can. You know, I, I'm a big believer that nothing lasts forever. And I think that's one of the beautiful things in life. Nothing lasts forever. Each day, the sun rises, the sun goes down at the end of the day, you know, the tide goes in, the tide comes back out. There is a beauty and I think an element of comfort in the world that doesn't matter what happens. The best things in the world are the worst things in the world. You know, there's a new day the next day. And I think that is a really good thing. That's very deep. I've been very deep today. I'm sorry. It's recording. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very deep. Um, okay. Well, we can go less deep Let's go here. Less deep. The gift that you're most grateful for. Do you know what? My, 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 my favourite things are cars. And um, I, before the pandemic, I actually sold it because everything that happened in the pandemic, I wasn't going to be using it. But I bought myself uh, an Audi R8 ages ago and I had oh, that and I, nice. I saved up for it and I've always dreamed of having a car like a real sports car kind of thing and I absolutely adored it and the day that I sat in it I was like this is so cool I absolutely loved it I really I was I was like this is so materialistic in many ways but I love being out on the open road I love driving having music on and I think sometimes as well like it's good to treat yourself isn't it having said everything I've said sometimes you've got to go do you know what you got to treat yourself. And actually, I think, you know, I'll, I probably will, after all this is settled, I might well get another car that I can maybe put the roof down, go for drives in the countryside and enjoy because, you know, as Life's I said, you short. live once, don't you? Yeah, Definitely. and I do. I mean, I, I jokingly saying that it's rotten materialistic. I love stuff and I like things. Yeah. And, you know, we work hard, whatever it is. Like, I think there shouldn't be shame in in no. buying you know nice things if, yourself, if it's something yeah. that you're passionate about and you think will bring yeah. you joy in your life then what it is is once you find um that separation between pleasure and happiness the car will give me pleasure yeah. but it doesn't give me happiness but actually the car if i go out with my friends or i get amazing experiences then that is then happiness yeah. but it's just knowing that difference isn't it and yeah. there's no wrong to have hit those pleasure buttons every now and then um and if the car does that perfect when I think that's actually a wonderful and very simple, that distinction between pleasure and happiness and going, the car won't fill me up. It won't make me, you know, get up in the morning happy, but it will give me like a little thrill on a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and Why not? What's and we wrong all like with thrills. that? Yeah, exactly. A good thrill. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, okay. Your hashtag blessed moment to end. I, I, I think my hashtag blessed moment was probably... I, I, and it sounds but I don't know but uh, when I was on Love Island and I was sat there and we were having like the dinner dates and all the cameras were around and it'd been the most amazing day and it was a warm evening and the pool was there and I did stop and think you know I'm blessed to sit here and do this what an experience to be a part of as much mm-hmm. as whether people think trashy TV or whatever but it was such an experience and I think that was a hashtag blessed it was yeah, yeah it, it was what an experience in life life's about experience and that was definitely one of them yeah and I think, do you know what, it is that like fully rounded human and I love because I will have had my own judgments about people on Love Island yeah. and it's like this idea that you're very, you know, one dimensional. There's a bang of Kardashian, whatever it is. And these are like I'm calling <laughs> out my own judgments and my own prejudices. But actually, I, I think, you know, it, like it's it's amazing to go 
fuck it. I'm not like, I'm a multifaceted human and I can be. What did you think of me, Angela? What did you think of me on there? Do you know what? I thought you were fantastic and your pink, you your pink trunks were my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I should never be wearing that out. Do you know, one of the doctors said to me, a really good friend of mine, and she's actually, it's her fault that I went on the show. She forced me. Her but, um, fault, sure. She, she, yeah, it's her fault. She, she said to me, whatever you do, don't wear pink, pink t-shirts or really pale stuff or pink shorts mm -hmm. because they won't look good on your skin. And obviously I did all of those things. And yeah. I came out she's like, I, I told you. She's like, I told you not to wear it and you still did it. And I was like, I'm sorry. You know what? I just don't worry too much. So many people <laughs> felt seen. And I think that is, that is the gift that you've given us. Oh, I don't know. It yeah. was it was fun anyway. It was fun. I, look, I'm a pale guy on 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 a show where everyone else is really tan. Yeah. Easy. Angela, we we know Listen, how that feels. I, you know. <laughs> I get you. I hear you. I have never seen anyone as pale. I haven't seen many of the girls be that pale actually. Um, but you know, maybe they hit the bottom. Put a more bit pale. More. Put more. Uh, uh, you know, redhead I'm, I'm fighting the Welsh fight. Or Irish people. I'm yeah. fighting <laughs> the fight. I'll be on it next series. I won't. Uh, but, <laughs> you but might be. You never know. Listen, I absolutely loved that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. That was fun. Big thank you to Dr. Alex. And as ever, if this sparks some ideas about what you're thankful for, I would love to hear all about it. So drop me a line using the hashtag ThanksAmillionTrio to Angela Scanlon via Instagram and Twitter. Dr. Alex can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Alex George. We discuss mental health a lot in a very open and candid way, which I hope was helpful and not triggering for people. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, do remember that there's always somebody to talk to or to text. The Samaritans can be reached on 116123 and check the show notes for details outside the UK and Ireland. We release new episodes every week and you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and go check out the other brilliant guests that we have had on this series. So many now to listen back to. And if you're loving the show, please write us a review. A big stonking sexy five-star review and tell your friends in a whatsapp group it's how we all find our favorite things just share the love be the one in the know you know girlfriend yeah something like that anyway share a bit of positivity it's kind of a shit storm out there right now so anything that allows somebody to feel a bit of escape and a bit of an aural hug that's what we're calling it these days also on the topic of hugs, I have, I mean, it's not a hug, it's an email, but it, it is a newsletter and I have been pouring myself into it, not literally, but in text form. It lands in your box, wink, wink, every Sunday. It's completely free. Some people are confused about newsletters. It is free and you can just go to my Instagram and click the linky link and it will allow you to sign up for it and you should do that because if you're into this it's right up your street basically if you like this and you don't hate me then fuck it why not okay i'll let you go thanks to louise mason at rethink audio and finally to you guys the listeners have a lovely week and mind yourselves thanks a million